Hello guys and welcome to another episode of the Profit Profile Podcast from your host Chris Foster, the Profile Guy. Now in this episode, I have got a great interview with none other than Danny Robinson. Now this interview is a super frank interview about his life and it really lays bare all of the highs and the lows of having a profile within the hair industry. Now guys, I really am so excited that Danny has really laid it on the line, really explained to us what he goes through, how he's gone through and gone through to the other end and being a dynamic force for good within our industry. And I'm really excited to have him on right now. So guys, listen up to this episode of the Profit Profile podcast with none other than Danny Robinson. Danny Robinson, how are you, sir? Thank you for joining us on the Profit Profile podcast. Hi, how are you? You okay? Yeah, man. Super excited to have you on right now. And Danny, you know what? I I just want the listeners to get a feel, the vibe, where you've come from, where your journey has started from and where you are now. So let's start with the story right at the beginning. How did you get into the industry? Um, Yeah, so hi, I'm Danny Robinson. Um, and I've been probably barbering now about 14 years. Um, from leaving school, I um, went into a performing arts background. Um, I went to a drama school in Manchester City Centre. Uh, from there, I was picked up by a acting agent called Lime, who at the time was probably one of the biggest in Manchester and um, did my first TV role from being in college after about three weeks, I'd say. It was like literally instantly. Uh, The agent was sat at the back of the class without anyone knowing, and uh, they just pulled me to one side at the end. Um, I did a TV role for BBC called Offside and played a, um, a bit of a thuggish part of um, like a football hooligan. Uh, It was one of the main parts, and it just snowballed from there. I got job after job after job. Uh, Credits included Spooks. Um, I worked with Lenny James, who is in The Walking Dead, and uh, Snatch. I've worked with James McAvoy, who's obviously in all the X-Men films, massive Hollywood star uh, in Shameless. And yeah, it was. I had to pinch myself at certain points, but the the work can get few and far between. Uh, right. This this is the era before smartphones. This is the era before iPads, and you know, half the time you're pushed in a green room or in a trailer, and you're just told wait there, and right. you might arrive at seven a.m. in the morning. They might run over, and you might not be on set till one in the afternoon or six at night, and. It, a lot of it is waiting around and unless you have one of the main parts where you're probably getting paid 60, 70, 80K, then, you know, it, it was for an 18, 19 year old, it wasn't the dream that I expected really. Mm. Um, you know, I can imagine it if you got into it high end, you know, when you're doing Hollywood productions and stuff like that, it's, it's a total different kettle of fish, but the, the acting that I believed it was in my mind to actually doing it was totally different. Mm. So uh, I, I left college, 
then had a void of sitting waiting by the phone, sitting waiting for my agent to ring, you know, trying to put yourself out there, pimp yourself in some ways, you know, <laughs> to, to, to casting directors. And um, my 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 mother had noticed that I was, um, you know, that I grew myself quite well and, you know, to, to get some of these parts, I had lines in my eyebrows. I shaved my hair. I had two two very short tram lines at the front of my hair. Um, you know, I was good at uh, shaping my beard. My mum picked up on that. And she she kind of said, have you ever thought about going into, into hairdressing? And the, the stigma of hairdressing for a 19, 20-year-old lad from a working class background was a bit mm, that sounds a bit gay type of thing and mm. you know do, do I really want to do that it's a total different kettle of fish from what I'm doing from the acting so the bit the bit jobs that I was having in bars and working at JD Sports and working in warehouses and it that you know yes you can you can make a career out of that if that's what you wanted to do but i just felt like i had all this unbelievable creative energy built up inside me like a like a like a bubbling kettle and me standing in a warehouse taking directions of nigel to unload pallets just wasn't fulfilling my dreams mm. so um my mum you know kind of pressurized me into 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 choosing a career and at the time i was going off the rails completely i was in and out of trouble with the police a lot Uh, my mom and dad was at their wits end um you know i i'd kind of fallen in with the wrong crowd and you know going out and, and going back to house parties and staying out for two three days in a row was more of what I was doing than concentrating on a career. Um, So, you know, I had a bit of a wake-up call, which I needed, and uh, listened to my mum's advice, and she helped me, and she got me a job at a local hairdresser's in Saddleworth called Triangle. And I, I worked for a guy called Lee who had three shops, and... You know, he was a little bit of a mentor to me and he, he showed me the ropes and it, it wasn't barbering. It was it was all um, it was all women's. And I did I like it? No, not really. Um, the, the wage wasn't overly brilliant. I think it was on about <laughs> I think it was on about 70 pounds a week. You couldn't really live off it. Hmm. Um, so I, again, I, I was just like, this is nothing that. That, that I can't really see any way out of it. This is not a career that, that I'm wanting to do. Um, the type of customers were coming in was probably only over the age of 45. There was no younger people coming in. It was it was predominantly female. I was the only lad in there apart from the owner who was probably touching 50. So it was, oh, was mind-numbing. Um, and then they went to send me to a, a college, a local college based in Ashton-under-Lyne, and I turned up on the course. I was the only lad in there. And they tried to force me to wear a tunic. So, you know, like it's like an overall that you wear. 
Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I just point back refused to said you've got absolutely no chance. They've changed the rules now. You know, in the, in this modern era, you can wear black pants and black t shirt. You know, with a Nike tick on or whatever. Um, but you couldn't in those days. It was literally like a like a, a full blown tunic like you had to wear to do wow. to do hairdressing. And I just point blank refused to do it. You know, I was just like, no, it's not me. <laughs> and um, I ended up losing my job at the 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 local. Um, salon, the triangle one. So from there, um, my stepdad um, always had his own business and he had put some of my acting money to one side. He always said that I could use it for, instead of blowing it all what I earned, I could use it towards my first car, my insurance, you know, a little bit of a nest egg for something that I wanted to do when I was older. And, you know, the acting did earn me a decent substantial amount of money for, for what I did. You know, it was decent paid. Um, so I, I had this money sat in this account. So Paul said to me, um, why don't you pay to do a private course? Um, you know, you'll be able to fast track through the training. You'll be qualified quicker. You don't have to go to college. You won't have to wear one of those daft tunics. Mm-hmm. So at the time, my auntie was going to a salon in Manchester, which was Pierre Alexander, which... Pierre Alexander in his heyday was on par with the likes of Sassoon's, Trevor Sorbet. He came up with all those old school, you know, um, hairdressers. He he was phenomenal. He traveled the world. His salon was opposite Kendall's in Manchester. Uh, It was sublime that, you know, the, the, um, the building alone was just historical. It, It was stunning. And I went in there and I was completely wowed. I was like, wow, you know, this, if I was going to work somewhere, I would work here. And this is before the mega salons that you get in Manchester City Centre these days, um, which there is a lot of them. You know, Pierre's was one of the main ones. So we did private intense course training and it was similar to the training that you would pay these days if you did it private to get a qualification. Um, you know, it was about four or five grand, I think it was. Um, and it was just one-to-one. And I fast-tracked through it, but Pierre split his time between the UK and Marbella. Um, So I was taught uh, by some of the different staff in there. Uh, A lady called Nicola taught me, uh, who was the manager. And um, I was in the college courses um, with a beautiful girl called Samantha. Um, So... That would be where I ended up meeting my future wife. Uh, you know, we trained together uh, and we worked in the same uh, hairdressers. Uh, me, being typical me, you know, uh, I still was rolling my eyes with a lot of things, thinking, is this something that I want to do? It had not entered my head at, the, at this God-given time to become a barber. Um, it, 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 you know, it was just a... Um, I was I was just a hairdresser. That there, there was there was so so. Tell me when you started the whole barbering thing. Um, was that would you say that was about ten years ago? Is that when the boom was about to start? Yeah, I'd maybe say uh, the barbering ten plus years ago for me. So for me leaving this salon, me and Samantha got in a relationship. It was a conflict of interest. Uh, one of us had to leave, so um, I left. I uh, went and joined another salon in Manchester. And as quick as I can possibly get into it, the someone phoned in sick who had a full column 
um, back to back with gents. He was the only barber that was working in this in the shop, which was called the Haircuttery or HC UK. It was called Haircuttery UK. Um, it was based on Deansgate. It was huge. It was over three floors. Uh, there was 20 plus stylists. And you know what? It, it was kind of just like fun hairdressing. It wasn't overly expensive. Um, you could probably say it was one above supercuts. You know, you know what you were getting. It was no frills. Um, they didn't try and sugarcoat it. You know, highlights were 40 quid for a full head. Um, the cuts were probably 20. So, you know, it, it was probably more more trendier, up-and-coming students, more professionals. You know, it wasn't the, the, the clientele that came into Pierre's who paid a hell of a lot of money. And it suited me. I liked it. And I was able to iron out a lot of my mistakes as a hairdresser um, in this place, you know. Um, so the guy phoned in sick. I took over his column. And then, do you know what? I really enjoyed it. I did. I had I had more in common speaking to the lads that came in than I did the women. And I I I just kind of thought, hmm, it was like a light bulb moment. Maybe I found my niche of what, what I wanna what I wanna maybe get into. Um a position arose with uh someone who I used to work with called Ken. And he had moved to a high-flying male grooming. This is the era that male grooming all of a sudden made its appearance. You had old-school traditional barbers, you know, with glasses on, with a bit of sellotape on the corner, who dressed in white, you know, white overshirts with, you know, a pencil in the top pocket type of barbers. To you obviously then had Afro-type barbers. This whole mm. young generation of barbers that you see now wasn't really around then really there was mm. there was just a few you could just see the twinkles of it starting to appear so this male grooming phenomenon hit of just like high end women looking salons but a bit more masculine all tiles all marble you know sinks in front here you know big t- mm. TVs on the walls and i was i was blown away when i went for a job interview at this new place it was called the uh, gentry grooming company it was owned by a lady called adele lock she was on the very first series of the apprentice and she was a genius her marketing was amazing she got in there at the right time she was just off Ge- deansgate um on black friars and i went working there i worked there for about this is in london or this is in manchester yeah this is still in manchester this is five five minutes from the from the salon that i that i just previously worked in the, right. the hair cuttery it was literally across the road so i went there spoke to ken who i'd worked with previously he he was the manager he gave me the job and again i i went working in there it was it was professionals it was people more my age and you know it was a booking system as well as walk-ins and I was like a sponge. I soaked all of it up. And I, I, again, I never saw myself owning my own barbershop or owning my own brand at this point. I was 22, 23, mm-hmm. um, still heavily into going out the weekend, partying. I, I, I was at this point you know, in a relationship with Sam. I didn't have any kids. And, you know, just doing what typical 23, 24-year-olds do. And... Um, then had an opportunity after working there 16 months, maybe, um, had an opportunity to move back to Oldham 
and uh, become self-employed in a total, total different different barbershop, uh, which was five pound haircuts on a percentage basis, and it was wow, it was conveyor belt. And what I mean by that is in out in out ninety customers through the door every day between three of you. So you're thrown in at the deep end doing 20 to 25 haircuts. Let me ask you a question. So what did you learn? What was the difference between, obviously, you've got the high-end male grooming emporium type thing and the, that. Was there anything you learned from the second experience versus the first experience that you were working in these two locations? Uh, between the male grooming side and the one. With- and they're just straight, strictly barbershop, stack them high. And, exactly. And sell it cheap and exactly. you know, yeah. literally. So it, yeah. it, it was quantity over quality. That's the best way to explain it. So obviously, when I'm working in the one in Manchester and you're paying 22 quid in them days, which is 10 plus years ago, uh, for a haircut, um, of course, everything's about shape. It's about taking your time, washing the customer, you know, providing drink services. The music was 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 very neutral. Uh, it was it was all customer service driven, as where the the five pound one is quantity money 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 in and out of the door. Um, it, it's five pound you you have to, and I was on fifty fifty, so I got, I got two pound fifty per haircut. Wow, right. So you need to you need to get them out, man. Of There's course, no kind of, of course. So if yeah. you're taking any longer than. 10, 15 minutes fool you because you're coming out with 40, 50 quid a day. So, yeah. so it was, I, I have no words to explain it. It, it was a culture shock instantly. And mm. was I ready? No, 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 I wasn't ready. And the boss would write little notes on the desk in a pad, hurry up, come on. <laughs> and I, I, I was just like, oh, wow, what is going on? Uh, but then the more I was there, I properly ironed my craft out in this place. And I needed this. And at the time, I, I worked there for five plus years. Uh, at the time, I hated it. I can't emphasize enough how much I hated it. And I just felt like I was just in this dead-end job. And is this my life? At the time, then I'd moved in with, with Samantha. With the, we was engaged. Uh, we had our first daughter, Miley, and I probably came out with 280 to, to 320 a, a week, maybe a tiny bit more with tips. Um, and it was it was just mind numbing. And um, it was small town mentality where everyone knew each other's business. And, uh, you know, you go for a drink after work and get in early hours Sunday morning. And it's just like Groundhog Day constantly. And then you're back in work and... I, again, I, I I didn't really see myself owning my own business. It was just a period of my life which was just a bit of a void. And um, so, Danny, can we can we fast forward to the time that obviously you've learnt from these two experiences and all the experiences before? Um, and let's fast forward to your very first shot now. What what did you bring from those experiences to your very first shot? So yeah, so. Going towards me leaving the, the, the shop that I was working in, um, I, I started to notice that if I took longer to do the haircuts and put more time and effort in, then I started to build a bit of a custom base up instead of rushing them. So, you know, I'd have cues and anyone who's ever worked in that shop afterwards who's done the same as me and, and took time and and started to put a bit of shape in the hair and took a bit longer on the fade 
they, they, they themselves started to build queues up and build a clientele up. And, you know, you'd specifically only wait for Danny or you'd only wait for whoever. And so what I was able to do then towards the very end in the last six, six to eight months before I left was then it started to open my eyes of mm, maybe I can do this myself. You know, and, and you're not you're not daft. You can see, you can figure out how many haircuts are going through the till and, and realize the amount of money that's that's being made and what I'm being paid. And only a fool would then think, well, I can't go and do this for, for myself on a, you know, on a certain scale. So um, I'm always a, a big believer in fate and, and the law of attraction and what's meant to be is meant to be. And if you have a positive mind and I, I just drove past uh, an empty shop, an empty premises and, you know, put an offer in on it. I got it, opened my own shop and it, 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 took, it took a little bit to build momentum. Yes, some of the customers followed me. Of course they did. And, and I was able to then slowly build up uh, my custom base. But I was only ever on the same money that I was earning at the, at the previous job. It was no huge jump. I, there was only me who worked there. I didn't have staff. Mm. And um, I, I was just extremely, extremely lucky. And this is where, where the key factor of, of me springboarding my career is I managed to get this shop that I was in for £80 a week. So, right. so it worked out at four grand a year for the for the mm. shop, which wow. which was less than what I was paying on the percentage of the previous job. So wow. I was just so so lucky, and um, I, I then managed to build my clientele up. I then got nominated for uh, Oldham Business Awards in two different categories. I won one, came runner up in the other one, and from then. We're still sit and wait. There's no such thing as bookings, really. Bookings is just more orientated towards higher-end male grooming and women's salons. And I just, after winning that award, the, the Olden Business Awards, I remember turning up to work on the, on the, we won it on the Friday night. I turned up to work on the, on the Saturday and it was queuing out the door. You know, it was queuing down the street. I was just like, Wow. You know, I was in the front of the paper and it just springboarded me and it really helped. So going back to your original question, me being able to work in these different environments, if it got busy, like the example I've just given where it was queuing out the door, I did know how to speed up. You know, I, mm. I knew how to how to move my clippers quicker. I knew how to guard skip instead of going from three to two to one. To I knew mm -hmm. that I could just literally put a half on and, and whiz it, knock it out into a number two and it had cut my timings down. Um, and yeah, the, 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 the working in different environments to me, I can now see and appreciate, even though at the time I was fuming and like, I couldn't see a way out. I'm very lucky that I've experienced all these different things because it was just more strings to my bow for when I opened my own shop. There's never, ever been a client, a customer that has come in my shop who I've thought, I don't know how to cut his hair. And because I'd worked in this this barber shop in in my hometown, where it was a quantity of haircuts coming in and out, if you're doing thirty haircuts a day over a five six day week, you can imagine how many hair types you've seen. You've seen Asian, you've seen Afro, you've seen, you know, people with curly hair, straight hair, balding, beards, trim my eyebrows. Mm. I've seen every single array of haircuts that you can possibly imagine. 
and my my skill set um you know was was quite high but at the time owning my own shop i was um doing courses on the quiet you know i'd done an american crew course um my wife was still a hairdresser at the time so she was going over some scissors with me and blow drying techniques and it all just helped all of it brilliant can i just um just now just far uh, go towards the time that you started to obviously build up your your skill set and you started to be a part of creative teams um namely it was uh the mh feds uh, creative team yeah. tell about the whole experience um what it was like being a part of that team um who were on the team just just get us a kind of a an insight into that whole time of your career yeah so um at this point social media via Instagram and Facebook was starting to peak. And, um, you know, it was a free business tool. You could publish your work. People could see it instantly. As were years ago, you know, the likes of the, the old school lads, you know, the likes of Foxy, yourself, you know, you, 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 had, to get, you had to get your work published in magazines. You had to do stage shows. You, a lot of stage exactly, shows. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> you know. And it's a, it's a smaller audience and you're not, you haven't got the, 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 the actual reach as social media, which is phenomenal. It's changed the it, game. Yeah, it did change the game. So, this was, up, so mm. this was up and coming, you know, this Instagram appeared. You know, I remember the very first picture that I posted. I think it was of my, my, my daughter who was about 18 months at the time. And What year was this, do you remember? Uh, it was 2013. Wow. So, um, you know, you then started posting a few haircut pictures and it was nothing of the absolute juggernaut that Instagram is now. Um, so, you know, you just mess about with it. You know, you just post a picture here and there. And, you know, I mean, this morning from, you know, nine till six and you might have had 300 followers. Um, you might have got 10 likes. And, and so... I would just remember being on Instagram and the shop. I was having one of those days where, you know, there was, it was still walking. So you'd have a few voided periods of just after dinner from two to three till the kids came out where it wasn't overly that busy. So I remember just sitting on Instagram, scrolling through my phone and I just, just by chance came across this organization, the MH Fed, and they was putting a competition together uh, to submit some, photography work to uh become part of an artistic team so uh, obviously there was aaron dawn on board there was adam sloan and joe sloan and i'd bought i was always interested in photography and i bought myself a camera i bought myself a canon 70d i think it was um and it took really good pictures so um i started to then experiment in the shop with uh, you know, taking pictures and, and, and you know, then um, different backgrounds outside, inside, and the lighting and totally amateur, though, nothing like what it is now. And um, they, they put, you know, MH Fed said in this competition that if you submit your photography work, they'll consider it all and you can get on this artistic team. And I didn't know I submitted my... My, my pictures didn't really hear anything and they'd already chosen the team and the team was uh, Richie Martin from Scotland. It was Simon Kibler who worked for um, Mick who's on the wall artistic team, Damiano and um, who else was it? Josh LaMonica, obviously from Menspire. 
And also, there was Kai Cut Wilson, who now works for Babalis. Um, and that, that was their artistic team. They chose it. It was an unbelievably strong collection of up-and-coming uh, barbers and male hairdressers. Uh, and Kai, unfortunately, couldn't commit to the contract due to Babalis and, and, and the shows. And he, he said there was some conflicts of interest with certain shows and he couldn't do them. So um, he, he couldn't commit to the team. And very luckily for me, I was accepted onto the, onto the feds. Uh, I think mm. I was 29 probably. So yeah, it was um, it was a collection of 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 four of us. Um, we, you know, I had no clue whatsoever um, about the industry. Nothing, nothing mm-hmm. whatsoever. And um, at the time that I got accepted, I had entered uh, Simon Shaw's wall search for a star and that was in 2013 2014 i think it was and um again that this is something that i'd come across on instagram instagram was very slowly blowing up i'd seen the competition on instagram you know the the the, the persona and megastar that simon shaw was with wall and you know that how big their shows are at salon international and i was invited down i was a finalist and you know i was i was so excited to go down. I'd never been to Salon International before. I went down with, with my wife and went down with my model. And then that's when I started to get a feel for everything. You see the bright lights, you see the shows, you, you see the wall artistic team, you see you see the the, the Babalist stages, the Demon stages, and you're just like, wow, this is a side of the industry that I've never seen before. It's not just cutting hair behind a chair. It is, you know, there is total different aspects to it. And and so at this point, you said to yourself, you're part of this team now. And what what led you on to obviously becoming? Because let's just again, you've you've done Sunset Show, you've been at Sunset Show now, and you are now um, um, being picked up by a big brand. Can you talk about the brand that that you signed up for as an ambassador? Um, tell me a bit about it. And I, I know that's o- Oster. So let's talk about the Oster story. Yeah. So um, from getting on the feds. We, it, it was like a whirlwind, what Adam Sloan did and the connections that he had regarding the fellowship and the hair shows. And so we literally, within joining the feds, we was then at Weller Studios in London. Um, we was representing for the fellowship. We was in, the, the audience was all ex-hairdresser of the year winners, um, it was just like hairdressing royalty there. And I'm a, a, a lad from Oldham, a chavvy lad from Oldham, you know, with my model that I'd done a fade on. I did like this Edward Scissorhands inspired haircut and I'm presenting it. And I'm just like pinching myself like, like, what is going on? One minute I'm cutting hair for the general public in, in, a, in a small barber boutique in Oldham to you know, being stood in the heart of London in front of people who I've seen on TV. It was just, it was crazy. So from there, we did loads of hair shows, you know, Pro Hair Live. We sell on International. We was doing stuff for the fellowship. Uh, we was doing magazines, interviews. And it, it was, it, it sounds a bit cliche, but it was, it was kind of like the very first boy band of British male hairdressing. 
and mm-hmm. it was it was crazy. You know, we was one of the originators. It was us and the Bomb Squad, if you remember, with Foxy. And, yep. you know, yep. we, we was... And James uh, BT and... Um, yeah, yeah. So it was it was mad. It was absolutely mad. And we're traveling up and down the country. And, you know, the bond that we had between us all was amazing. And I was in awe of some of them. Some of the work was just unbelievable. I'd never seen anyone cut hair like how Joshua Monica had cut hair. And it just showed me there's so many different cogs to this, how it works you know, and I, I kind of, in a humbling way, I felt inferior to a lot of these people. I was just like, what is going on? I'd never seen anyone blow dry like Richie Martin. He was just phenomenal. Simon Kibler, how he would do patterns is like yourself. You know, he he was amazing with hair art. Uh, and Josh was, Josh is just Josh. Josh is just on a total different level. But, you know, what that did for me then is it, it kind of then pushed me to, to want to be better to be to have to step my game up, and th- this then came across within the shop. You know, my work got better, my fades got better, the way I held my scissors got better, my, my finishing off, my blow drying, my product knowledge. I was able to bring all this back to my shop to help me be able to earn money. Um, and then we was at a hair show, uh, which was Pro Hair Live, and uh, they was watching at the side of the stage, and. Uh, Denman just said, you know, we've seen that you've just been using uh, our Pro Power Clippers, um, which is the UK version of the Fast Feeds. Uh, you know, you've been using clip, uh, our Ulster Clipper Combs. We love what you're doing. Uh, are you able to do a demonstration haircut in 30 minutes' time on the stand for us? And I did. Pulled in like a, a decent crowd. And the crowd that I pulled in was just replicas of myself. Do you know what I mean? They're, they're, they're mm-hmm. just young, up-and-coming barbers, business owners. They, they look similar to me. And they I think they realised that I had a, a lot in common with consumer, you know, who, who they're selling their products to. Um, so it was kind of a bit of a light bulb moment for them. They went away, uh, spoke to uh, their European... Um, like head of sales, which was a guy called uh, Alex, who were based over in Germany, and Marcel. And we just very slowly built up a relationship. But what people do not see in this era, what I'm talking about now, 2014, 2015, none of this was paid. You know, I didn't get paid to do the Fed stuff. I didn't get Mm -hmm. paid to do any of the Ulster stuff. They're kind of feeling you out. They're kind of feeling how you know you're willing to do it how far you're willing to go you know that they they all the hair shows everything it's self-financed the hotels the models it could end up costing you five grand a year doing every hair show in the uk over a 12-month period Mm. but nobody Mm -hmm. saw this but would i change it no i wouldn't because what it did for my profile what it did for my social media career you know it, it got my name out there can I just add to your point there? And again, a lot of people don't realize the investment that needs to happen uh, way before to grow to something uh, epic. It's like planting seeds. You cannot expect a harvest if you don't plant the seeds. <laughs> and that's what you had to do. You planted the seeds, did the time for free. But in return for that, the investment did pay off. Didn't of it? course it did, because then now, like, for example, um, you know, what we're in now, 2019, 2020, where, you know, I've just been signed 
uh, by wall. Little be known did I know that when I was planting those seeds and doing all the stuff for free and getting my name around there and getting my face about, um, that it would pay off. So working for Oster, what did that afford you? The travel? What, what did that do for your profile uh, in terms of the travel, the success? But of course, I think we spoke about the downside of all that travel. So let's talk about that for a second. Yeah, so uh, what happened... Um is I was working with Ulster. I did a few UK hair shows and they realized, oh, wow, you know, he, he can pull a crowd in. You know, he's he appeals to the people who we're trying to sell our products to. And um, let's, uh, let's stop using who uh, we used regularly, which was, um, oh, my God, he was called it. Another yes, person. A, another another <laughs> yeah. Per, yeah, another person. They, yeah, yeah they, they used they used two separate people from America and they flew them over and right. they realized look bit from a business perspective, it's gonna be a hell of a lot easier to uh, just use Danny. He's local, it's gonna be easier. We don't have to fly them in from America. Hmm. And um I then started to do a lot of European work for them. So they did a hell of a lot of stuff in the Ukraine, in Russia, in Serbia, in Holland. And then all of a sudden I'm being flown to these countries doing hair shows. And for me, this is the point where I'd proven myself. I'd worked for free. Uh, that We started to talk about day rates, uh, expenses. You know, they covered the flights, they covered the hotels. And for, for me to be able to leave work and go and work for this company, it, it then became quite, you know, lucrative for me to for me to leave the shop. You know, they was paying me more than I would be to be in the shop. Um, and I got to see the world and experience things that this is, you know, another side of barbering, which I'd never seen. And I was then mm. able to be able to use my creative acting performing backgrounds to stand on stage and be able to portray this persona of a, a you know th- th- this this barber who stood on stage stood on stage demonstrating mm-hmm. so you're able to incorporate your acting skills in the presentation skills so essentially um, you know, presenting as an actor. Of course, because, you know, you're cutting yeah. hair live in front of people. Um, you know, a lot of it, you're not daft. It's pre-prepped backstage. You know, I, you know what you're doing when you go You know what you're mm. doing when you go on stage. You might, you might be just fading the hair. You might be cutting through the top. You know, you're not, you're not going to be doing miraculous transformations. And um, a lot of the time, you, I was just demonstrating the clippers. So I don't need to cut the top. You know, I, I'm demonstrating the power of the clippers, the cutting power, wet hair, dry hair, coarse hair. And um, yeah, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And I, I was able to concentrate more on the speaking side of it. But it, it, it's hard to explain because when you go to these different countries in Russia, you're speaking and there's an interpreter so, you know, a lot of my career has been built on humor. You know, a lot of people tell me that I'm quite humorous. I've got a, a very dry, quirky sense of humor. Uh, but th- this doesn't come across when you have an interpreter in a different country. They're just, everyone's just stone faced staring at you. Um, <laughs> as where it works more in the UK. Uh, but yeah, I mean, working for a, a less known clipper company, Ulster, I was again able to to just creatively 
um, be able to just work on my skills and be able to learn from mistakes, be able to, to know how to speak, to, to slow things down, to not use my Mancunian slash Oldham accent where you speak quite fast. I've, I've probably transformed the way I present myself uh, working in these countries and when when I first mm-hmm. used to do it, wow, I, I still used to be a little bit nervous. But now, it, it just comes naturally. I don't even bat an eyelid at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. So, um, so okay, now working for Oster, now you're just building up that that the experience level. Um, what was the difference? Do you feel uh, in terms of the type of work you did? let's say, um, demonstrating and presenting. So let's say you're presenting on stage. Is there a difference between presenting and demonstrating? Yes. You know, you get some people demo work, but as, of course, you're by yourself, you're on these big stages and you had to present. Oh, uh, yeah, that's an amazing you? question, if I'm honest. So, yeah, you, you you know, people who've been to hair shows before, Barber Connect, people who've seen uh, the hair shows and how they work, there's a difference between demonstrating and presenting because presenting, you're holding the whole stage together uh you know you're having to ask questions you're having to constantly talk when you're demoing you're concentrating a lot on the haircut and it unless your skill set is amazing it is difficult to be able to concentrate on doing this amazing fade which you need to do because you're on stage and the reason you're on stage is to demonstrate you have to concentrate on, yes, the haircut has to be amazing, but to be able to talk as well and stop and, and you know, not get all your words jumbled up and not sound nervous and not go bright red. Um, mm. it, it's a total, total eye-opener. And um, I would say in the early days, it was, it was daunting sometimes. And it, in the early days, I was, I was having a few personal problems within my life. I was doing stage shows where I wasn't a hundred percent focused in what I was doing. I was having, I was having issues at home and I was probably, you know, turning to alcohol and things to try and mask my problems. So sometimes I was at these shows and I'd, I'd be drinking after I'd been on stage and I'd be part, partying with mm. people as where the person who I am now, I'm, I'm nothing like that at all. I mean, they, they, mm. I, I've, I've done some growing up recently, like a, a mm. hell of a lot. People don't even say that I'm the same person, but I always believed that I was destined to be the person that I am now. There was just a few bumps in the road to get there. But would I change anything? I don't think I would because, because mm. um, it, it's hardened me with life lessons where um, I'm not naive to anything anymore. Um, mm. You know, that I've been used by a lot of companies, I would say. There was a few companies in the early days who, who would have me doing work and try and pay me in scissors or just cover my hotel costs or um, say they would pay me X amount of money and then it might take six months to get the money and constantly chasing it to the point where you feel drained, keep asking for it. Um, 
Can I ask you a question? How did you deal with those those particular companies? Because I know a lot of people in the industry do have uh, very similar ex- experiences. Um, and as professionals, we all know that, you know, if you add value to someone's life in, 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 in some way or value to a business, that value has to translate to you as well because you're adding value to someone's life, you know? So do you have a strategy when dealing with companies that would... Um, of course, like don't work with them. <laughs> but uh, do you have a strategy? Uh, did you learn a strategy from um, protecting yourself as a uh, as a as a presenter, as a hair professional? Um, yeah, I, I kind of went into it all with rose tinted glasses and and became a little bit of a yes man. Where you know a beard oils arrived, a new hair products arrived. This shows here. There's this bash there and. I was just kind of like, yes, 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 yes. And and not really thinking about the consequences of that. I've got two small children at home, that I've got a, a wife who is just begging for my attention and I'm, I'm never there. And she's dealing with two small children in a house and and she feels I, I'm here, there, everywhere, trains here, flights there. And at the time... Sam is an astonishing, astonishing hairdresser. And she she was at, at a, a point in her life where she was just depressed with it all. She was like, you know, I've got two young kids. I'm a hairdresser. You know, what what is going on? And, you know, she was doing mobile at the time, going to people's houses. You know, you're cutting hair in someone's kitchen and it's soul destroying. And th- this was, this kind of them just brought issues up between my personal life of me doing all these shows and you know what it wasn't it wasn't lucrative for me at all you know they might say mm. oh we'll send you 50 pots of wax and the the wax wasn't mm. overly great and, and you're <laughs> trying to sell that to customers and they're like mate but this is garbage i don't even like it so you then you're mm. having to give it away so then you, in some ways you're working for free you know, and then yeah. you're doing you're doing shows and you're traveling two to three hours and you're getting paid scissors where they tell you the a few hundred pounds and you know you can get them for China for five six quid a set and it, this this is just the mm. naivety that I was just oblivious to. And I think a lot of people in the industry are quite naive. Of course, to this as well. of course. So I think course. this is this is it. This I is mean, the it's thing. even like if they pay you in clippers, for example. You know, wholesale for for the, for them as a manufacturing cost might cost them twenty quid for a pair of clippers. Yeah, they they might RRP <laughs> them a, a, a hundred and plus. But you know, you've got hmm. that. Someone once told me a very um, good bit of information that I didn't take on board at the time, and it's know your own worth. You know, and and mm. the guy who told me that was was Johnny Barber. You know, I have a I have a quite a good relationship with Johnny. We speak quite a lot, and if I ever have any issues, um, we'll sit and chat on the phone. And he's mentored me through a few a few situations, and he's just hardened to it all. Do you know what I mean? He he's 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 old school, and there's the, and he mm. you know he warned me about all this, all of it, and just said just be careful, Dan. You know and watch some of these companies and, and just the, the best thing I can tell you is say no. And if they want you that much, they will, they will come back in a few months time and offer you something better. But I didn't, I was here, I was there, I was in London and I'm in, um, then I'm in the Ukraine and I'm in Wales and I'm in Scotland. Oh, and, and 
my head was spinning and some, something had mm. to give in my life. Something had to give. And unfortunately, it was my marriage. Um, and I just had a, a gorgeous house. I had a wonderful family. Um, and it, it, it just all fell apart in front of my eyes extremely, extremely quickly. And mm. uh, it, it was a it was a horrible time for me. It was a horrible time, and I I, I look back on it, and I, you know I, I I turned to things that I shouldn't be shouldn't have been doing, and it, a lot of it was just trying to self self medicate. A lot of it was just to try and numb the pain of what was happening. Fool me for making for making taking my eye off the ball for making mistakes. But like what I say now, the person who I am to look back on that it doesn't even feel like it was me. It, it feels like mm. like it, like I'm looking inside a box of wow, did that really happen? But where I am now in my life, you know, me and my wife got back together after two years. Uh, you know, you know, I live Brilliant. I live with with my kids. Uh, our relationship is stronger than ever. You know, we both went off and had, had relationships with with. Uh, I went and I met somebody and she went and met with someone and it just didn't work because deep down we were still in love with each other. That that wasn't the issue of why we split up. We split up because I was just never at home, ever. She she just said, mm-hmm. I might as well be on my mm-hmm. own, Danny. What is what is the actual point? Um, wow. And then, you, and then you're doing all that work for people to then offer you some scissors and pot of uh, products. You just hit the nail on the head, all of it. All of it. Wow. So, so it's, not, it's not even like someone saying, right, yeah, it's 50K a year. Um, yeah, it, yeah, it, yeah. It was, but it, this, this is the very beginning of the Barber Connect era, you know, where the, 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 male, the male grooming, the barbering, it's proper hitting off now. You know, everyone's got the snapbacks on backwards. Everyone's got stay true tattooed <laughs> on their knuckles. Everyone's got, got neck tattoos. Yeah. Everyone's got gold teeth. It, it was... Yeah, they've, they've got, got the, the beard, beard, they've got the tattoos exposed. Yeah, I this mean, is it. Yeah, I know exactly I mean, the era. How many beard oil <laughs> companies was there that just appeared out of nowhere? <laughs> there was, there must have been a thousand of them, and beard balm, and you just twisty mustaches, and it, it was just, <laughs> it was just everywhere, and you know the likes yeah. of sports personalities, uh, reality TV stars. I kind of look at it, it was the start of the skin fade era. Now, I know that skin fades mm. have been around in culture for years, and you look back to, to hip-hop mm. and, and Afro culture, but there was a transition of skin fades into Caucasian, uh, Latino, and, you know, it, and mm-hmm. everyone wanted them. You know, the likes of Kev mm. Lutchman, they just pushed them, yourself and, and Josh LaMonica, mm. they mm. pushed them into mainstream. You know, the likes of Beckham having skin fades and, and the, every reality TV show, they're always male grooming, the shaving the chest, the doing the beards. And it just was like someone pressed the button. And then you can kind of, you know, people who who didn't really have any aspirations and any, any drive and any ambition, you know, and they're from deprived backgrounds, then had all of a sudden this opportunity to, oh, well, I can own my own business. I can be a barber. I can be successful in what I do, you know, um, and it was it was just like someone pressed the button, and these companies mm. knew that they could use hashtag Instagram barbers to just do their marketing for them for free for free. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm going to send you wow. a, a pot of this and a pot of that. I'm going to send you going to send you this. I'm going to send you that. And 
put it on your Instagram for us. You know, you've got you've got twenty thousand mm. followers. Put it on your story. And years ago, mm. with the likes of you know, for example, say Ad Feeling in his heyday, and you know some of the the big rock star hairdressers who were endorsed by the likes of Babyliss and Straighteners and GHD, they were they were big, lucrative contracts that came with that. You know, mm-hmm. life changing. You know, and. That you know, TV work and but Instagram changed all that. You know, you can you can be Instagram famous megastar barber traveling the world. You don't need your own TV show because Instagram does it for you. So these companies realized how profitable this can be for them. Just get this guy to hold these pair of clippers, spray them in gold, and look, you know, we'll sell you know a million of them worldwide. And it, and it, it that mm. so that that is kind of what happened, and I got caught up in that. And yes, I took a lot of sacrifices for my for my health, you know, my mental health, my career, and I, I just hit a brick wall. Now, the only thing that kept me going, um, a lot of it was was my staff. I had a, an amazing staff member at the time called Killian, um, who was working for me. And he kind of really helped me. He gave me a new lease of life. He is extremely funny, extremely comical. And, you know, I was going through a bad period in my life and he, he was there for me. You know, I wasn't back with my wife then. And um, I was given an opportunity to open a second shop in a very affluent area of Oldham. Believe it or not, there is one. Uh, and, it's, and it's called Saddleworth. <laughs> Um, and it, you know, a lot of the houses there are, are expensive. They're all million pound houses. And, um, we got the opportunity to open a shop up there and, and, and we did, but obviously I couldn't work in it cause I, I, I had my custom base in, in the Shaw one. So I put Killian in there, made him the manager. And it was again, just a two, two man shop started off small and just built it up to, to, to what it is now. Hmm. So let me just go back to what you were saying. I'm, I'm just going to, we're kind of, kind of wrapping up in a second, but I want to just find out with the boom of barbering right now and where you see the boom has, you know, everyone wants to become a barber because it's so kind of trendy now because see people flying around the planet yeah. and all that sort of jazz. Do you think there will be a bust in barbering? And when do you think that will happen if there will be a bust? So, what an amazing question and where do I see myself in that? So what happened is, yes, I still cut hair behind the chair. Um, I don't do the six days anymore. Um, yes, I'm still a very hard worker. I'm in there till eight, nine o'clock at night. You know, my staff will tell you that. My customers will tell you that. But it is difficult juggling uh, multiple businesses. You know, now I've got a, a women's hairdressers as well with my wife. Uh, which is a partner salon with Sassoon's. So I've got even more staff with hers as well. I've got a new bigger and better uh, shop in Upper Mill. And um, yeah, everything's everything's worked out amazing, but you have to move with the times. And what I've kind of found and what is happening is we're moving towards a digital cashless society. So Yes, when you set up in the early days, a lot of these barbershops came up under the premise that it's a, it's a cash business, you know, and it's not everywhere. And most people who come into my shop these days, it's cards. People have Apple Pay, Google Pay, that they have um, it built into the encryption in the, the phones where they double tap the side 
and it brings up the card details to use on a card machine. So I genuinely believe you have to move with the times. We've moved away from walk-ins. A lot of barbershops have moved to bookings. Mm. There is some amazing booking apps. Mm. You've got the likes of Booksy. You've got the likes of Squire. You know, there's there's some amazing, amazing booking apps out there. And um, people, you know, are very conscious of time. You know, gone are the days where you can go and sit in a barbershop on a Saturday morning for four hours. People would rather pay an extra five, 10, 15 pounds to be in and out. So, and th- mm. this is this is where we're at at the minute. You know, you, you have to be on the ball um, as well as cutting hair at the minute. I, I've created myself as more of a, a digital content influencer. You know, I'm into photography, videography. I can create websites. Um, I do the marketing for my wife's shop, my own shops. And, you know, when I look at marketing companies who produce content like this, you know, without blowing my own trumpet, I think I'm on par with them. Um, and I've learned it all myself. You know, you can pay for a photographer. It might cost you 800 quid, 1500 quid for the day. I just figured out you can learn it yourself. You can go on a course, online courses. You can watch YouTube. So that that is where I've moved it. And I'm very lucky that, a company was keeping a close eye on me, which was while, um, you know, and, and Simon was watching me. I did a, I did some shows for Rachel with Modern Barber at Salon International. Uh, I won a Best in Britain award. Thank you. Congratulations. And what that did is, obviously, when I got back with my wife, I knew it was time to grow up. You know, she gave me some very, very harsh reality checks. And, you know, I needed to become more of a businessman a father figure uh, to my children, which I always was, but the father figure that I needed to be, um, you know, and be the, all these dreams that I had in my head and the notes in my phone of who I wanted to be was now time to grab the, the bull by the horns and do it. And, you know, me and my wife got back together last year in um, Easter. So it's nearly 12 months. And in that time, mm-hmm. you know, I've got, I'm working with wall. I'm, um, we work with Formula One, something that I didn't touch upon. You know, we work with F1. We we, we provide pop-up barbershops wow. um, at their events. Uh, you know, we've won, we've won more prestigious awards. I'm Modern Barber's go-to presenter. You know, I work with Wal. Uh, my wife has opened this new shop. And it's, it, it's crazy. It's like someone's pressed the button in my life. But I, I believe that it's life showing me that I'm back on the right track. I don't drink anymore. You know, you won't catch me in a bar. You won't catch me out, you know, at silly, silly o'clock in the morning. Uh, my, my eating habits have changed. And, um, you know, I, I adore my family. So, you know, it, it's one of those I needed to be shown some of the lessons that I had to learn to, to be able to appreciate and be gratuitous for what I've got, uh, which, which, which I am. Fantastic. So, yeah, going back to the, to the question, you know, you have to move with the times. That there are some unbelievably good apps out there that can help you at the minute, help you as a business grow. You know, the likes of SumUp, which takes card payments, you know, what goes in your bank. Um, there is, you know, there's booking apps that take payments on there now, like Squire. Um, everything, you know, if you if you wanna if you wanna get yourself out there, it's moving away from pictures these days, it's moving more into videography. You can see a lot of barbers are now posting posting videos, tutorials. There's some some people who are making a f- fabulous career 
doing tutorials on YouTube, getting paid thousands. So it's just moving mm. with the times. And if you don't, believe me, you're going to get left behind because be, be, because Big in time. the next two to five years, there'll be no such thing as hard cash. So people are going to have to now mm. transition over to card payments and start thinking about the, moving their businesses forward. And, you know, I'm taking those steps mm. already. Mm. The, the, the booking app that I've... Um, that I've transitioned over to is predominantly pay before you arrive. And it, and after you finish the haircut, it takes mm. the money out of your bank. It's, it's genius, all of it. And uh, I continue to use social mm. media, you know, not as much as I used to do, but um, you know, I, I still post on it. I'm still quite active on it. But uh, the main thing mainly is I, I got, I got very um, sidetracked by why I came into this business and why I set up my own business and it was for a foundation for a better life for my kids and something to pass down to my children when I'm, when I'm older. And you could say that I got la- completely lost in the egotistical side of it, of, you know, doing shows and being here, there and everywhere. And, and, and Instagram became a lifestyle when realistically you've got two kids who look up and adore you, sat waiting for you at home. So just never... Never lose track in why you set out to do it originally, I would say. Brilliant. Um, so, Danny, can you just give me one piece of advice that you would give to anyone listening to this podcast, especially because this is the Profit Profile podcast. It's about profile building. One piece of advice that you give to Oh, uh, so with the, the right wealth now. of knowledge that I have got from, you know, being in this industry now for 14 years and, you know, having my own shops for seven years and, I would say if you, if you want to stand out and if you want to build a brand and become successful and take it to the next level, um, it would be uh, original. Be as original as you possibly can be. Don't try and carbon copy or blueprint uh, another barber. You know, there is some unbelievably fantastic barbers in the country, in the world, um, you know, some big, big names at the top of the tier. Um, they are a thousand percent them. You know, if you, if you copy them, if you, if you try and cut the same as them, if you create videos and take pictures like them, you just become a watered down version of them, which, which people have seen mm. and people are rolling their eyes. I, I, I scroll through Instagram and it often it's just like carbon copy, blueprint, blueprint. Um, you know, it's the ones who just come out of nowhere who catch your eye. I mean, I think there's a guy based in Russia who's called Clipper Killer and um, his photography work is like nothing I've ever seen. And I instantly saw it and went, oh my God, what is that? Like, that is unbelievable. And it caught my eye and I was obsessed looking at his picture straight away. You, you need to become that, you know, you need to be that wow. And whether it's, whether it's you need to find yourself. And, you know, I believe that I have become my own individual person. People know me for who I am. They know that I'm um, a mouthy mank who isn't scared of, you know, saying anything to anyone and, and, and just creating these ridiculously uh, caricatured Instagram stories. And, and he, you know, he doesn't hold back in certain things. And But then I have the, 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 
the you know the the credits to back it up with winning awards and working with F1 and being a Sassoon partner and you know it's not just like I've just dicked about on Instagram and I've made a complete fool of myself you know I've got I've done things which has paid off for me it's got me seen it's got me where I wanted to be you know and some people probably did along the line say what the hell is he doing but but that's what worked for mm. me, and it, it, it made me stand out. It got me on people's radar. Whether they were talking about me, good or bad, at least they were talking about me. But what I'm trying to what I'm trying to say is just just try and build your own individual unique brand. Whether it's you know unique unique way you take pictures, whether you film things in a unique way, whether it's a color scheme. Look at look at Johnny Barber. He's probably got the biggest company in the UK. Look at the way he dresses. You know, he dresses, he has a three grand shirt on every day, but you know, straight away when you see Johnny, that that's Johnny, that's his brand. You know, it's, it's the same with the men's fire guys. You, you see that straight away and it, it just become, become your own unique brand. And I think you will get very far and you'll be very successful. 